RTHK News. It's 11 o'clock, I'm Todd Harding. Tonight's headlines. An RTHK producer who worked on programmes about the Yunlong attacks is arrested. Critics worry this will have a chilling effect on the media. <coughs> and Ant Group suspends its record-breaking IPO in both Hong Kong and Shanghai. Police have arrested a producer who worked on RTHK programmes on the July the 21st Yunlong mob attack last year, sparking concern this could have a chilling effect on local journalists. Natalie Ching reports. Police led Bao Choi away from her Meifu home after reportedly conducting a search of the premises. The force says she was arrested on suspicion of violating the road traffic ordinance by making false statements when conducting a vehicle registration search. Officers suspect the information allegedly obtained was used in a different way than declared. Police say they were investigating the matter in response to a privacy complaint. It's understood that the license plate search was carried out as part of an investigative report to trace vehicles seen picking up men suspected of being involved in the Yunlong attack. Ms Choi has been released on bail. She told reporters that her arrest is unfortunate in that it might arouse public concern that the police may be trying to suppress press freedom. She's scheduled to appear in Fanling Court next Tuesday. The director of broadcasting, Leung Kawing, says he's worried the arrest would create a chilling effect in the media. But he said the public broadcaster wouldn't change the way it covers the news. We are afraid. We are worried. We better say we are worried. Whether we can um, continue uh, the way we produce accurate news as before. We always stick to our principles. It's all uh, state very clear in the charter as well as the producer's guideline. The chairman of the Hong Kong Journalists Association, Chris Young, says the arrest is shocking. For the police, I think to send a team of organized crime uh, detectives to make a, a arrest of this kind, I think has sent a very bad message to press freedom. I think they are now exhausting every possible way to suppress the press. Pro-government lawmaker Junius Ho, meanwhile, says he's all for journalists pursuing facts as long as they don't break the law during the process. Whoever requests the information should not lie in the first place, should not tell lie, and should not make any false declaration or false statement, because by itself, that is already a criminal conduct. In other news, Ant Group's 37 billion US dollar listing has been suspended in both Shanghai and Hong Kong in a dramatic move just two days before what was set to be the world's largest ever stock market debut. Joanne Wong has the story. The Shanghai Stock Exchange first announced that it has suspended Ant's initial public offering on its star market, prompting Ant to also freeze the Hong Kong leg of the dual listing. Ant said that its listing was suspended by Shanghai following a recent interview regulators held with its founder Jack Ma and top executives. It said it may not meet listing qualifications or disclosure requirements and also cited recent changes in the fintech regulatory environment. The firm, which has more than 700 million monthly active users, 
helped revolutionize commerce and personal finance in China. With consumers using the smartphone app to pay for everything from meals to groceries to travel tickets. But Ant's lending, wealth management, and insurance ventures have also prompted concern in China's state-controlled finance sector. State media have recently issued warnings about potential financial instability that could result from Ant Group's rapid growth amid fears of rising defaults and deteriorating asset quality in a pandemic-hit economy. An executive director of Kingston Securities, Dickie Wong, says the latest developments have shown that Chinese authorities are tightening their grip on non-state-owned banking businesses. Chinese officials, including PBOC, met some of their senior officials regarding regulations about unfinancial and other holding company that they are operating financial services businesses in mainland China. So it came into no surprise that Chinese government. They want to tighten the regulation over all the holding company which they operate, lending business and also like similar to banking business. You're listening to RTHK. The time is coming up to five minutes past eleven. The Cathay Pacific Flight Attendants Union says members have voted to take the airline to court over its demand for staff to sign new contracts that will result in massive cuts in pay and benefits. Staff have until the end of tomorrow to sign the new contracts or lose their jobs. The union's vice chairwoman, Amber Soon, refused to give details of what the legal action would entail, but said it would include a demand for Cathay to give redundancy packages to those who don't sign. I'm afraid we right now we can't review too much details regarding the legal actions, but that that would definitely be the redundancy part instead of termination. The new contracts are part of a massive overhaul at Cathay that saw almost 6,000 job cuts and the axing of subsidiary Cathay Dragon. In a fresh blow to workers in the ailing tourism and aviation sectors, Jardine Aviation Services, which provides ground handling services at the airport, will sack about 340 staff. Candice Wong has the story. Jardine's staff union says the firm had informed workers of the layoffs in an internal notice and sacked employees will leave their jobs from December. The JASL Employees Union quoted the company as saying that it has no choice but to restructure its business, with the government's employment support scheme coming to an end this month and no sign of recovery for the aviation sector. According to the union, management maintained it had tried to cut costs to try to ride out the storm caused by the COVID-19 pandemic, but resorted to laying off staff because of a plunge in revenue since the outbreak began. As for the remaining staff, they will be required to take 10 days of unpaid leave every month until March next year. The firm provides ground handling, baggage and cargo handling services at the airport. Chief Executive Carrie Lam says she hopes whoever wins the presidential election in the United States will not suppress Hong Kong out of political reasons. Violet Wong has more. Carrie Lam says the SAR has been adversely affected by deteriorating US-China relations over the past year. She says it would be up to the next president to evaluate the China-US relationship and Hong Kong's importance in this. We often say the relation between Hong Kong and the U.S. in different aspects is a long-term and mutually beneficial one. Of course, looking at the figures, the U.S. enjoys a trade surplus with Hong Kong. The American investment banks or financial organizations also get a good share if Hong Kong's financial sector prospers. 
So I hope the new U.S. government will consider its ties with Hong Kong comprehensively, including the interests of many U.S. companies in Hong Kong and the workers they employ, and will not cause an unreasonable impact to Hong Kong arbitrarily because of political suppression. Mrs. Lam is among 11 Hong Kong and mainland officials hit with sanctions by Washington in response to the national security law. Last month, she said even if foreign governments impose further sanctions on them, she won't waver when it comes to safeguarding national security. Americans are voting after the most bitter and extraordinary presidential campaign in decades. The race between the Republican incumbent Donald Trump and his Democratic challenger Joe Biden was marked by rancorous debates and deep divisions about the direction of the country. A record number of almost 100 million Americans have cast their ballots in advance. The BBC's Lebo Di Secco is outside a polling station in Virginia. This uh, suburban polling station that I am at is uh, fairly quiet at the moment. There is a slow but steady trickle of voters uh, coming through, but I imagine that it will pick up throughout the day. Certainly uh, some of the early voters, uh, the people that got here very, very early that I spoke to, some of the first in line, uh, said to me that that was one of their concerns. They had seen queues stretching round the block for early voting right around the country, and they wanted to avoid that today. The Austrian Chancellor has said yesterday's shootings in Vienna were clearly an Islamist terror attack and promised the country would defend its democracy. But Sebastian Kurz added that the enemy was violent extremism, not all members of any one religion. The gunman killed four people in the attack and 15 others were seriously injured. One of the attackers was also killed. The BBC's Bethany Bell is in Vienna. The Interior Minister has been giving a few more details about the gunman who was killed. Uh, we understand that he was a young man who had already served a conviction for terrorist activity. He had tried to travel to Syria to join Islamic State. He'd served a number of months in jail last year, but was released early because of his very young age. Back locally, a cluster of COVID-19 infections linked to a group of families that went on a staycation at a Lantau Hotel continues to expand, with two more people confirmed with the coronavirus and another two testing preliminary positive. Wendy Wong reports. The Centre for Health Protection says the two newly confirmed cases, men aged 24 and 26, didn't actually stay at the Seaview Holiday Resort with the other infected patients, but they came into contact with one of them. This brings the total number of confirmed cases linked to this cluster to five, excluding two preliminary positives. Authorities also confirmed six more imported cases, along with a third local case, where the source of infection is unknown. Officials say the 36-year-old man who lives in Causeway Bay and works in Central had contact with scores of people during the incubation period. He had played football with 20 friends in Wong Chuk Han, basketball with a few others in Ablei Chow, and played cards with 10 more in a central office. He also had drinks with a friend at Bar Deluxe in Central. Dr. Chuan Shuk Kwan said bottles will be distributed to collect samples from his friends and about 200 colleagues for COVID-19 tests. Police are investigating a suspected murder-suicide in Mong Kok in which the four-year-old son of the victim is believed to have remained in a flat with the body for over a day. Damon Pang reports. Police found the body of a 28-year-old woman inside a flat on Portland Street at around noon after receiving a report from a concerned friend. Officers also found the woman's son, who was unharmed in the flat, but say they do not know whether he had witnessed the killing. 
Officers believe she had been attacked by her husband either late on Sunday or early on Monday morning. She had suffered multiple wounds to her head, neck and chest. A post-mortem will be conducted to ascertain the cause of death. The body of the husband was discovered earlier, in the early hours of Monday morning. Police believe he had jumped to his death. A former telecoms worker has been jailed for two years for doxing a relative of a police officer during last year's anti-government protests. Wendy Wong reports. Chen Kenghei used the computer system of Hong Kong Telecommunications to obtain the Chinese and English names, as well as the ID card and phone numbers of the father of a police inspector, before spreading this information via a doxing group on a Telegram channel. The 33-year-old also got hold of the personal particulars of 20 police officers and some of their relatives, as well as three public figures, although this information was kept on his computer and was not made public. He was convicted of obtaining access to a computer with a view to dishonest gain, as well as disclosing others' data without consent. District Court Judge Frankie Yu said the case was serious, as it had caused great psychological harm to the inspector's father and led him to fear for his family's safety. The judge said he was not convinced by the suggestion that the defendant had acted on impulse, given that he had carried out a lot of searches on his company's computer system to obtain the information. A chief inspector from the police's Cyber Security and Technology Crime Bureau, Tai Chi Bun, said the force welcomes the ruling. As we've seen from the case, the victim has gone through a lot emotionally and uh, it has a big impact on him. We hope that the results from today and also um, with all our efforts together, we can get rid of this uh, negative behaviour and to protect uh, um, those uh, innocent people from the society. Privacy Commissioner Ada Chong issued a statement welcoming the ruling. She warns that the cyber world is not beyond the law and urges people not to hurt others while harming themselves. The chief executive, Carrie Lamb, says she's planning to give her policy address on November the 25th. She made the announcement just hours before she travelled to Beijing with five of her ministers. The CE says she would ask for the lifting of the 14-day quarantine requirement for Hong Kong people travelling across the border. She also says she doesn't think the outcome of discussions will affect her plans to give the annual policy speech. My target is still to deliver it within the month of November and likely on the 25th of November. For the moment, I don't see any um, major hurdle to that because once the trip has taken place, whether I'm going to get a lot or not a lot of those support measures, it is still time to release the policy address for people to know where things stand. A reminder of our top stories tonight, an RTHK producer who worked on programmes about the Yun Long attacks is arrested. Critics worry this will have a chilling effect on the media and Cathay flight attendants decide to take the airline to court in a row over pay and benefits. The news from RTHK. RTHK Radio 3 It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's Newswrap programme. The Hong Kong Journalists Association has criticised the arrest of an RTHK producer over allegations that she made false statements in obtaining information via a vehicle registration search. Bao Choi had worked on programmes following up on the Yunlong gang attacks last July, tracking down the owners of some vehicles seen picking up men suspected of being involved in the attack. Anna-Marie Evans asked Association Chairman Chris Young what he made of the arrest. Yes, it's a shocking case. I mean, uh, I think it's the first... Probably it's the first case of its kind, and uh, making use 
uh, of a um, traffic ordinance, say, um, to suppress, I would say, press freedom. So does the allegation make sense? Well, it's quite clear that uh, the, the reporters, say, um, did the search for a news story, which has been broadcast, uh, so everyone can see how the information has, has been used entirely for public interest, nothing personal, but for the police, I think, to send organized, a team of organized crime uh, detectives to make a, a arrest of these kinds, I think has sent a very bad message to press freedom. Yeah, so why are the authorities doing this? I mean, journalists have always been using public registries for their work. I think they are now exhausting every possible way, every possible way to, to suppress, uh, I think, the press. To make it difficult, if not impossible, for, uh, for reporters to do their job, to dig out the truth, um, to, say, publish stories that, may, that they may feel embarrassed. So what, what do you think that the impact on other journalists will be, especially those doing investigative reporting? Well, I think the immediate question is, say, whether reporters will still be comfortable, say, to do regular vehicle licence check, um, as they have been doing for years, because uh, there's a risk of, say, um, uh, facing, say, charges uh, under, uh, under the ordinance. At least four people have been killed and several others wounded after an attack by multiple gunmen in the Austrian capital of Vienna. One attacker was killed in what Austrian officials have labelled a terror attack. RTHK's Europe correspondent Gavin Gray told Jim Gould that security personnel are still hunting other suspects as more details emerge about the suspect who was shot dead by police. The 20-year-old Austrian North Macedonian dual national who was the one that has been shot dead or neutralised, as the Austrian Premier described. And it's been reported but not confirmed that he had a previous conviction for membership of a terrorist organisation and was one of 90 Austrian Islamic radicals who apparently is reported to have wanted to travel to Syria. But the police in Vienna decided he was not capable of carrying out an attack in Vienna. So one attacker shot dead that we know about. Uh, there were reports that another one had been captured. Yes, it seems to be a really scratchy, sketchy picture at the moment. We really are still waiting for more details from the police. Certainly the pictures and indeed some mobile phone footage are recorded show a number of people uh, basically being held at gunpoint by police, being kept in custody as they were just stood in the city centre with their hands behind their head. And that would suggest that they, they might have captured several. But the official line from the police is one has been killed, they are hunting at least one other. But there were six different sites where it was reported that there had been attacks. So, of course, of course they aren't that near one another, a couple of them. And so, consequently, they are thinking that there are going to be at least two attackers, maybe more. The one that they have killed would appear, as I said, uh, according to local media, to have been implicated in uh, supporting the Islamic State. Indeed, it's reported, unconfirmed, that he finished a 22-month sentence behind bars in December last year for belonging to a terrorist organization. But as I said, that is unconfirmed. But we are also waiting to hear an update from the hospital where many of those who were seriously injured have been taken. There are 17 victims being treated in hospital. But the terrifyingly sad news is seven of those are said to be critical and life-threatening. 
Austria has until now been spared these types of attacks which have happened in other European countries. Is there any indication why Vienna was the victim this time? No, it's a good question. I mean, I think all this though, does stem back to January 2015 when two Islamist gunmen forced their way into the offices of a satirical magazine in Paris, the uh, Charlie Hebdo offices, and shot 12 people dead. Shortly after that, there was, of course, a lot of anger among the uh, Muslim population prior to that because the satirical magazine had published these now infamous cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad. Now, if you wind the clock forward, again in France, there was a Bataclan concert hall tragedy, 130 people shot dead there. And then again in the city of Nice, 86 killed when a gunman drove a lorry into a crowded Bastille Day celebration. Wind the clock now back to more recently, of course, and we had the teacher who was killed, almost beheaded outside his school, having shown pupils those cartoons from Charlie Hebdo. And then two people stabbed and uh, seriously hurt in Paris near the offices of Charlie Hebdo. And then, of course, the attacks more recently in the last week or two as well outside the church in uh, Nice. So why Austria? Well, one thought is actually that Austria was heading into a lockdown within three or four hours of the attacks taking place. So the streets were very crowded. There's no doubt freedom of movement between borders is making things easier for terrorists. And consequently, I'm left uh, now with this uh, terrible situation in Austria with lots of European countries now forced, I think, really to tighten up security. It's election day in the United States, with voters choosing between re-electing President Donald Trump or replacing him with a Democrat challenger, Joe Biden. The COVID-19 pandemic has led to an unprecedented number of people voting early. But the traditional way of casting a vote comes to the fore in the next couple of hours. The BBC's David Willis reports from California on how the campaign route to the White House has panned out. Thank you very much, Grand Rapids. You know, this is... Donald Trump concluded this presidential campaign as he concluded his last one on the chilly banks of the Grand River in the city of Grand Rapids, Michigan. Predicting that history will repeat itself, the president talked once again of a big red wave of Republican voters, which he said was set to engulf polling stations across the country. We made history together four years ago, and tomorrow we're going to make history once again. But a lot has happened in four years, not least the coronavirus. And President Trump is trailing Joe Biden in Michigan and in the other so-called Rust Belt states of Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, which propelled him to victory four years ago. It's COVID, 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 COVID. Here's what happens November 4th. You won't hear too much about it. And much as the president might wish otherwise, this election has become a referendum on his handling of a pandemic which has already claimed more than 230,000 American lives. Now is the time to show up and vote like this country depends on it because it does. Whilst Donald Trump has largely focused on states he won four years ago, Joe Biden has thrown much of his energy into Pennsylvania, arguably the most important battleground state in this election. I chose Western Pennsylvania for my first stop as a candidate, and now for my last stop before Election Day, because you represent the backbone of this country. 
With close to 100 million Americans having voted early, largely it's thought because of the coronavirus, the pollsters believe that puts Joe Biden at an advantage. The deep end that Joe Biden needs to be president of this country. Are you ready? Come on, put your hands up. Ready? Let's sing it. As Lady Gaga brought Joe Biden's Pennsylvania campaign sweep to a close, it started to seem as though the Keystone State and its 20 electoral college votes could become this election's biggest flashpoint. Faced with a deluge of postal votes, Pennsylvania election officials had called for three extra days to count them. The Supreme Court backed the move, but now the president, who opposes postal ballots on the grounds they favor the Democrats, is saying he may sue. And when the Supreme Court gave you an extension, they made a very dangerous situation, and I mean dangerous, physically dangerous, and they made it a very, very bad, they did a very bad thing for this state. They did a very bad thing for this nation. The president's prediction of violence on the streets, if the Supreme Court doesn't reconsider its verdict, has been accompanied by this, the sound of businesses being boarded up as America awaits the outcome of an election that threatens to polarize this country still further. That the outcome of today's vote might not be clear for days or even weeks is taken as read. Less certain, however, is the extent of the chaos and confusion that could be unleashed in the interim. Australia's peak bushfire season is rapidly approaching, with all eyes on whether the blazes will be anywhere near as bad as the devastation of last year. As well as claiming more than 30 lives and destroying hundreds of homes, the country's wildlife was also badly hit. One of the worst affected areas was Kangaroo Island in South Australia, a place renowned for its biodiversity and for one very Australian animal in particular, the koala. About 50,000 of the cuddly creatures lived there before the fires, but it's now feared as few as 5,000 are left. The BBC's Shaima Khalil has been back to the island to find out more. The wildlife park is one of Kangaroo Island's major attractions. But during January's devastating fires, a large section of the grounds here became a makeshift hospital and rescue centre for nearly a 1,000 injured animals. About 600 koalas were brought in, many with severe burns. I remember the last time I was here seeing them in laundry baskets because there was just no room, nowhere else to put them. At the time, their limbs were bandaged and they looked so obviously in pain. And it's taken nearly a year for some of them to recover. Am I right to come in? Yes. Dana Mitchell, the co-owner of the wildlife park, takes me to see some of the koalas. Yes, I'm very excited for dinner. It's that time of the day, isn't it? This group came in as baby joeys. They were orphaned by the fires that tore through the island. Scarlett, who's in this area here, probably had the worst burns. She had real severe burns on both back feet. Uh, SJ up the back had really singed fur, so she was quite singed all over and only had a few minor burns. Pictures of the suffering koalas were seen across the world, prompting millions of dollars in donations. Most of the animals are now on the mend and ready to get back into the wild. It's a far cry from what they had to endure after the bushfires. Dana tells me how shocking it was for her and many others back then. 
seeing the horrific injuries that the animals were coming in with and seeing how confronting that was. A lot of people, I uh, know myself included, weren't expecting it to be. Like, you kind of see it on TV and you see it uh, like that, but you never kind of, it doesn't hit you until you actually see it in person how bad it actually is. Uh, but there's been a lot of challenges getting through, not just the burns and that kind of thing, uh, the mental toll that it took on the animals and the people as well and yeah getting them ready to go back out to the wild making sure that they're healthy enough make sure that they're fit enough most of kangaroo island's 50,000 koalas perished in the blazes helping the remaining ones is vital for australia's ecology this is the one place where the animals are disease free but this has also been a complicated issue over the years Mike Gregg, manager for National Parks and Wildlife Services on the island, says if kept unchecked, a large koala population can be harmful to the vegetation here. Before the fire, we were involved in a sterilisation project. And with koalas on Kangaroo Island, we wanted to make sure the population wasn't getting away, wasn't getting out of balance. Koalas eat their food trees, and with an overpopulation of koalas, the trees actually can get into real trouble, and some of them can even eat themselves out of house and home. Post-fire, we've done some estimates on koala populations and the numbers are around about five to 10,000 koalas left on Kangaroo Island. We just have to make sure that the numbers don't grow to the point where they're causing problems. Back in the wildlife park, Merton the koala is ready for his big move into the wild after 10 months of care. Dana, her husband Sam, and their two-year-old son Connor are taking him to the bush nearby. Here goes the koala. Oh, here he goes. There he goes. Where's he going? Going up the big tree. Going up the big tree. For Dana, it's a bittersweet separation. It's definitely mixed feelings. Uh, obviously, it is sad to see someone that you care so much about uh, go and potentially never see them again. But it is also absolutely incredible to get them back out there, knowing that you've done everything you could to make sure that they're ready to go and yeah, see them head back out there just to get back out where they're meant to be. It'll take years for the island to recover. The hope is that animals like Merton can still thrive in a much-changed habitat. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, koala. Bye-bye, koala. Those stories were part of the Newswrap program, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Todd Harding from our newsroom. To prevent the spread of COVID-19, try flexible working hours and staggered meal breaks. Wear a mask on public transport. Avoid crowded lifts. Try not to hold large meetings and reduce face-to-face -face contact with colleagues. Avoid meal gatherings. Stay away from crowds after work. Wash hands frequently and keep the workplace clean. If you feel unwell, stay away from work and see your doctor. Visit coronavirus.gov.hk for details. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December, we'll have moments to Absolutely. Moments to remember. This is Nostalgia with Ray Cudero all the way until 1 a.m. <laughs>